Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. The message today reminds us that uh, God has plans for our lives, and uh, I found this chapter especially practical as we think of our our young people, and uh, we pray for them, and we we lift them up in prayer here regularly, uh, rotating through some of the ones who have graduated in the last years. We've been walking through this book of Amos in the Old Testament, and uh, so far, I'd say in many respects, we found it to be a rather sobering book. As Almighty God, through the prophet Amos, is proclaiming judgment on the heathen nations that are around Israel and Judah, but also on them, uh, his own chosen people. And God, um, through Amos, predicted this judgment of God would be coming, and it would be coming, um, we find out later, through the Assyrian army. And now as we get into chapter 7, we'll see that even the king and the priest of Israel would not escape. And we're shown then by the book of Amos that really God is in charge of all things, including the affairs of nations, and what he says will come about. And when you and I realize that, then it should also cause us to consider our own lives and ask, well, what does God have in mind for my life? And we all tend to make plans sometimes for our lives without really consulting God. And I think that if there's one thing that COVID-19 has reminded me of in this last year over and over again, it's that I'm really not in charge of my own life as much as I thought it was. And so sometimes, so instead of making my own plans and then asking God to bless me, and I need to start with going to God, my creator, and pray and ask him, why did you create me? What do you desire for my life? And uh, even ask, uh, as we look ahead, then, Lord, what do you have for me to do this year? As we look at Amos 7 today, then, besides seeing God's sovereign hand in the lives of nations, we also get some personal glimpses into Amos' own life and how God really had different plans for him than the plans he had for himself. I invite you to look with me at, at uh, Amos chapter 7, and, and we'll be reading all 17 verses there. Would you stand in reverence to God's word as we read? <clears throat> Thus the Lord God showed me, and behold, he was forming a locust swarm when the spring crop began to sprout. And behold, the spring crop was after the king's mowing, and it came about when it had finished eating the vegetation of the land that it said, Lord God, Then I said, excuse me, Lord God, please pardon. How can Jacob stand for he is small? And the Lord changed his mind about this. It shall not be, said the Lord. And thus the Lord God showed me, and behold, the Lord God was calling to contend with them by fire, and it consumed the great deep and began to consume the farmland. And then I said, Lord God, please stop. How can Jacob stand for he is small? And the Lord God changed his mind about this. This too shall not be, said the Lord God. Then he showed me, and behold, the Lord was standing by a vertical wall with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, What do you see, Amos? And I said, A plumb line. Then the Lord said, Behold, I am about to put a plumb line in the midst of my people Israel, and I will spare them no longer. 
The high places of Isaac will be desolated, and the sanctuaries of Israel laid waste. And then I will rise up against the house of Jeroboam with the sword. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent word to Jeroboam, king of Israel, saying, Amos has conspired against you in the midst of the house of Israel. The land is unable to endure all of his words. For thus Amos says, Jeroboam will die by the sword, and Israel will be certainly go from its land into exile. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Go, you seer, flee away to the land of Judah. There eat bread, and there do your prophesying. But, do not, but no longer prophesy at Bethel, for it is a sanctuary of the king and a royal residence. Then Amos replied to Amaziah, I'm not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet, for I'm a herdsman and a grower of fig trees. But the Lord took me from following the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. Now hear the word of the Lord. You are saying you shall not prophesy against Israel, nor shall you speak against the house of Isaac. Therefore thus says the Lord, Your wife will become a harlot in the city, and your sons and daughters will fall by the sword, and your land will be parceled up by a measuring line, and you yourself will die upon unclean soil. Moreover, Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. Let us pray. O Lord God, as we again hear these words of judgment coming from you through the mouth of Amos, and as we look back on history and we see your hand and the judgment that was brought and the reasons for it, Lord, we pray that you would speak to our hearts today about our personal lives as well as about our nation. And Lord, we pray that there would be a repentance and a turning to you. Uh, use your word to speak to each of our hearts. You know each one of us and everything about us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> so as we look at the first six verses here in this chapter, there's a big question that comes to my mind. And, and that is this. Well, does the Lord God, who is really in charge of all things, sometimes change his mind? The Lord God gave Amos some visions of his judgment coming upon Israel in the form of a locust swarm that would destroy the crops and then a prairie fire that would burn up the farmland. Catastrophes to be sent by God as his judgment upon his disobedient people. And besides God's possibly sending locusts and fire, then when we look back earlier in chapter 4, we saw also that God had mentioned how in the past he had sent some things um, like catastrophic plagues, and also times where he sent lots of rain and times that there was no rain, there was drought. And I wonder, do we sometimes forget that all of those things are really ultimately in God's hands? In our society today, we have pesticides. And we have firefighting helicopters that drop giant buckets of water from the sky to put out fires. And we have new vaccines developed in a matter of months. And we have $2.7 billion flood control plans in the works. And we even have cloud seeders for when it gets really dry. And we human beings then are under the illusion that we're actually able to control just about everything, except maybe a few hurricanes and blizzards, and we're working on limiting them too with some climate change regulations. So where does God fit into the picture? Does he still send weather and plagues and pests? And if he does, then when they come upon us, 
Shouldn't we first pray for his mercy? That's what Amos did here. When the Lord gave him visions of catastrophic things coming on Israel. Well, does God still have his purposes in sending things like that upon us? Or was that just back in the Old Testament? And and if God is bringing things like this upon us, then are we really able to stop them from coming? We can come up with a cure for one disease only to have a new strain take its place. What did Amos pray here? And how did God answer? Amos prayed for God to stop the prairie fire and to pardon the nation of Israel for their sins and to not send the locust swarm. He prayed for God to hold back his judgment that they deserved, and God did so. The New American Standard that I read here words it this way, the Lord changed his mind. But you might say that that wording is really a condescending to our limited human minds, which can't fully comprehend how this is, that God interacts with mankind and asks us to pray to him about things. And at the same time, he has foreknowledge to know ahead of time exactly what man will do in each situation. I believe that in verse 3, maybe a better uh, wording, our understanding of that would be what the ESV translates where it says, the Lord relented. That is, he held back his wrath. One commentary said that the Lord canceled his righteous verdict, or maybe we should say in this case, he postponed it. He gave him more time. More time to repent. And that's really God's reason for sending judgment any time in this life. It is to get us to repent before the final judgment. And as we think of our own nation, and God's possible coming judgment even on us. And this should encourage us, too, to pray for God's mercy upon our nation as well. And, and that he would yet hold off in giving us what we deserve. Give us more time so the more hearts would turn to him. Israel got another 40 years, roughly, before the judgment that Amos predicted would come. Well, I am not a prophet, and I'm not predicting anything here. But I do believe that it is always appropriate for us to pray. Lord, please hold off a little longer in giving our land what we deserve. And to pray for God's mercy upon ourselves and upon those that we love. And God has shown his mercy to us in that today is still a day of grace. It's a day still where we can humble ourselves and admit our sins and look to his son, Jesus, for forgiveness and for cleansing. Well, as we look on in the text here, besides the visions of the locust swarm and the great fire, we have another vision mentioned there in verse 7 to 9. And that is the Lord standing by a vertical wall with a plumb line in his hand. And it's like a plumb line will be then his guide in judging the people of Israel. And so as we consider these verses today, I want to have you think with me about what a plumb line is and about the accuracy then of God's plumb line to judge our own hearts and lives. And I've found that in life we can sometimes fool other people with some things. But you see, plumb lines and levels and scripture don't lie. I think most of you probably understand what a plumb line is. I was going to bring one, I forgot, and I'll scurry at our house here to grab some string and a weight, but that's all you need. It's a very simple thing. Um, that when you hold it with the weight on it, it gives you a straight line up and down. 
and, and to judge then if a wall is straight or whatever. A good level does the same thing and also then can judge if it's level this way as well. Now, why does it matter? Well, let me explain it this way. I've done a bit of construction over the years. In my earlier years, I was always working for somebody else, which meant that they were in charge, and they just told me what to do, and I, I would do that, and I didn't have to think a lot and figure anything out. But as the years went on, then there were some times where there were some projects that came up for our family that I ended up being the one in charge, which meant that I was supposed to know what I was doing. And I've run into a reoccurring problem and had to learn this same lesson over and over again. It started with one time when we lived in a parsonage in Minot and we built a kid's play fort, built in the backyard up on some stilts, a salt box type of a building. Then the next project was needed some storage space, so behind our garage I built a little freestanding 8 by 12 shed. Um, largely out of uh, used lumber, I think I spent $100 in all uh, on that project. Um, uh, you see, I inherited this need to be really cheap and to build with used lumber from my dad. And, and I found that with both of those projects, I, I had to start with a, um, the, there was no cement foundation or whatever, so I had to start with a post or a wall, and it had to be straight. And, and both times I ran into trouble later in the project. I found I needed to go back and straighten out something that I had thought was close enough before. Well, a few years later, we uh, moved out to the country outside of Minot, and my boys and I took on a bigger project. I didn't have a garage, and somebody offered me their old granary. It was 20 by 32 feet, and it was 40 miles away. I had a crazy idea. We decided to take the roof off of it, and then chop down the wall sections and haul them home and put it back together in some kind of a garage. I'll spare you much of the details of that, but tell you this. Uh, once again, I found the importance of things being plumb and level. When we poured the cement for that, uh, three of the corner angles were, were very level, but we found one was off about an inch and a half. My father-in-law was uh, with us uh, for that week, and uh, he and I agreed, it's only a shed. It's close enough. <laughs> it, it seemed like it worked fine as we went on with this project. Uh, until it got to this point where we had to put in an overhead door. We cut out a hole in the wall and, and, and did so. And Luke, maybe you remember, it didn't work so well. We, were, we had to compensate for that inch and a half. Now it made a difference. And, because when the door comes down and things are crooked, then it doesn't end up flat against the cement. Well, it's only a shed ended up being our line we had used, but it was a problem later. What have I had to learn over and over again? Plumb lines and levels are always right. And if something isn't plumb, it will get you later in the project. And God says here that he is our plumb line. He sees if things are straight in our lives or if they are crooked. And we may think that little things don't matter. But even the little sins in life can come back to haunt us later. And they usually lead to bigger sins with more serious consequences. God judged Israel, and his judgment was right. And there was no denying it or avoiding it. They deserved his judgment. Well, God sees our lives too. 
Every bit of him. There's no hiding anything from him, even if we can hide it from everybody else. He, he knows our hearts and our lives, and he sees the sins, and he has a right to judge as we deserve. As we look on in the next verses in this text, we see this tendency that is there, though, for us to not listen to God's word. Amaziah was the priest at Bethlehem, and he didn't appreciate Amos' prophesying all of this negative stuff that was going to come on Israel. And we see then the, the human tendency here to not listen to God's word. What did Amaziah do when Amos brought God's word to Israel? He sent word to the king. And he said, Amos has conspired against you. And besides, the things that he's saying, they're depressing, and nobody in the land can stand to listen to what he's saying. And I don't know what took place in that conversation between the two of them, but then he went back to Amos. And he told Amos, go home. Go back to Judah with your depressing words. Let your own people listen to you. Don't you know who you're talking to here? This is Bethel. This is that place where Jacob met God here. It's a sanctuary to the king. It's a royal residence. Is that not our tendency today, too, to not listen to God's word at times? To think, well, I don't really have to listen to this. I'm maybe not royalty, but, you know, somebody. Maybe the political version in our country today might be, I'm the president, or I'm a leader in Congress. I have my own agenda. Don't bother me with the words of that outdated book. But do we possibly do that ourselves too? Privately thinking, well, since I don't like what it's saying, I don't have to listen to that. Remember now, God's plumb line is always right. And if we don't listen to his word, we'll reap the consequences later in life. And, and that's very... Uh, very much the case for Amaziah the priest and for Jeroboam the second here, king of Israel. Amos told Amaziah that his wife was going to end up then being a harlot in order to survive in the city. And his sons and daughters would die and he would be taken away into exile and there he would die. And what a sad outcome that was then for a leader who refused to listen to God's word and humble himself before him. As we look on a little further here, it's another interesting thing that comes up and that is, here we see the difference between what I had in mind and, and what God planned. And it tells us about Amos, the prophet, and his own life here. Back in chapter 1, verse 1, it told us that he was a sheep herder at a place called Tekoa. Well, here now, Amos replies to Amaziah the priest. And he says this about himself. He says, I'm not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet. I'm a herdsman and a grower of sig." Or sycamore figs. And the Lord took me from following the flock. And the Lord said to me, go prophesy to my people Israel. It seems to me here that Amos is expressing to the priest and the king, don't take your frustration out on me about this negative message that's from God. I didn't really want this job. I had other plans for my life. My flocks and my fig trees, they were doing just fine. I had no intentions of being a prophet, and I'm not sure I want to be considered one now. But Amos had come to a conclusion that he really had no choice, at least no wise choice, because God had called. And he had to follow his direction and go. And to not do so would not have been wise. Take Jonah, for instance. 
Maybe Amos had heard that story. But I understand right in the timing of things here, Jonah was a prophet to Nineveh uh, just shortly before Amos' ministry. So Amos, the sheep herder farmer, went and he, and he did what he was called by God to do. And, and he spoke God's message regardless of if it made him popular or not. And, and isn't that the way it often is with God and his call on people's lives? I think of my own life and, and uh, I was a relatively shy, insecure North Dakota farm boy that hated to be in front of people. And I planned to be a carpenter, rancher, farmer, and like my dad. Lord took me to Bible school and then out on a summer team and then to college and to be a youth worker in a church and then to seminary and, and college student ministry and to pastor a church up in north of Minnesota, Logging Town, then to Minot, North Dakota, and, and now here. I look back on my life and I, and I can see how God used one thing to prepare me for another thing and, and how those last 40 years have been far more exciting than staying on the farm. But you know, I still fight this at times. Still have my own ideas, my own plans instead of seeking his. But you see, the Lord is in the business of taking people who may have their own plans, but who will listen to his word and shaping them then into instruments for his glory. I think of, when I read history, how the Lord took a guy named Hans Nielsen Hauge out following his dad's plow and he used him to bring revival to much of Norway. God takes the small and the insignificant and he uses them for his glory. Many of you have heard of Dr. James Dobson and he's told the story of, of how in his, in his father's life, um, his father when he was a boy wanted to be a great artist and he also was gradually feeling this call to full-time ministry. And his dad fought that call, and he convinced himself that his mind had deceived him about this. And he went on to one of the best art schools in the country. And he was recognized there as a very gifted student. And when he graduated from college, it was right during the time of the Great Depression. And Dobson's dad couldn't find a job anyplace in the art field, much less anything else, until he ended up pumping gas and wiping car windshields. And it was during that time that the president of a prestigious art institute wrote a letter to him, offering him a job as an instructor with a very good salary. But somehow, that letter got lost, sitting in the pile on the president's desk, and not mailed. It was some time later that he found it, and he mailed it, with an explanation, and still offering the job. But by that time, Dobson's dad had gotten tired of his own lofty goals in the art world, and he yielded to the Lord's call to pastoral ministry, and he went away to seminary to be trained. And he went on to become an evangelist who used those art skills in his ministry work, wherever he went. And when he died, he was also the chairman of an art department of a Christian college. And James Dobson says about his dad, there were thousands of people that came to know Jesus Christ through the preaching of his evangelist father. And of course, Jim Dobson's own life, shaped largely by that call, even on his dad's life. Isn't it interesting, the ways of God as he calls ordinary people to extraordinary things. 
He doesn't call everybody to be pastors. He calls many to serve in, in all kinds of other ways. He gifts us all uniquely to accomplish his purposes and, and to be witnesses for Christ in all kinds of different situations and vocations. Some as farmers, truck drivers, teachers, nurses, soldiers, office personnel, business owners, and so on. I think of my own relative, um, I knew when I was growing up, his name was Clarence. And I understood it this way, that Clarence, when he was younger, was not walking with the Lord. Yeah, and, and he was paralyzed from the waist down as a result of a car accident. And it, that became a turning point in his spiritual life. And, and uh, he went on to then become, because he was unable to walk by himself, and he was in a wheelchair or else uh, with a walker, he became a watch repairman and, and a variety and jewelry store owner in my hometown and a faithful leader in my home church. He served a number of years also on the FLC coordinating committee in those years, and he would make that trip from Mackville to seven hours to Minneapolis, sometimes in the middle of the winter, and I've heard stories of how he would get stuck, but uh, he drove himself and he would, back, he would rock that car back himself and get himself out of all kinds of situations. But I remember him best as a, as a man in a wheelchair, who as a result, his height was at the same level as the kids in the, in the congregation. And he took an interest in every one of them. And when I was a kid, when I went to town, if there was a chance of it, I, I would like to go over to Clarence's store because he was always glad to chat with you. And his love for the Lord Jesus and for people radiated in all that knew him. You see, God has his ways to turn us from our agenda for our own lives to looking to his plans. How much better for us to seek those plans, though even when we're young. But at the same time, we need to recognize it is never too late to ask the Lord, well, from this day forward, Lord, show me your plan. Help me to walk in that each day. Lastly, as we look on in the next verses here, we see the knowledge of the one who knows the future. What would become of Amaziah the priest and King Jeroboam? They didn't want to listen to the Lord's word. And they told Amos not to prophesy them. And, and Amos responded by telling them of God's personal judgment that would be coming even for them and their families. You see, this one who knows the future can tell each of us, too, if, if he would, um, what we're going to look like 10 years down the road. Or what we're going to be doing in 20 years. He knows the number of our days before we're even born. And would it not then be best for us to get to know him while we can and to let him direct our ways? As you consider him who knows all things, including the future, he whose plumb line is completely accurate to judge our hearts and lives, he who knows our tendency to not listen to his word and to think it applies to somebody else instead, he who has definite plans for our lives. He who listens to our prayers for mercy and gives people more time to repent. As you think of those things, what's the response of your heart to him? Are there any crooked things in your life that God's plumb line is exposing? Will you humble yourself before him today? Are you trusting in his son Jesus Christ for forgiveness of your sins today? and entrusting your life into his hands. The reason that uh, God can 
cancel his righteous verdict or judgment on us personally and instead show us his mercy and compassion is that Jesus went to the cross for us. There he took himself, or there he took on himself our just judgment that we might instead experience his marvelous mercy and his grace. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word today. Forgive us for at times not listening to your word, for at times making our own plans rather than looking to you. Lord, we pray that you would help each of us to recognize who you are, to to recognize that your word is, is a plumb line for our lives, and that we would seek to line ourselves up with it, not by our own strength or ability at all, but by your grace as you work in our hearts and our lives. And Lord, as we look ahead, we desire your will. We desire you to lead and guide us. And Lord, show us even what we are to do this year. Put in our minds uh, people that we can reach out to and impact, Lord, and invite um, to church or to you. Uh, we pray that you'd have your way in each of our hearts and lives. In Jesus' name, amen.